Plop! Hello everybody, I'm Mario and I'm the developer in this duo. Uh, for all of those on the audio podcast today, I'm wearing a hat, but that's not going to be my fun fact. The random fact about me is that recently I got addicted to Penn and Teller Fool Us show on... Uh, well, I watch it on YouTube, but basically Penn and Teller, the two famous magicians, they have other magicians come to the show, do their trick, and they try to bust their trick. And it's actually freaking amazing what people can do with sleight of hand, what people can do with with cards, what skills, what control, what dribbles they have. It's so, so, so cool to watch. So, yeah, I've kind of become addicted to that, and that's a fun fact, hopefully. (laughs) My name is Tom. I'm the designer in the duo. And the fun fact about me is that I can never come up with a fun fact about me. So I just texted a lot of my friends to send me a fun fact about me. And three of them replied with, I'm in a meeting at the moment, I'll ping you later. So I think this is the difference between a freelancer and people who actually have a job. Uh, but on your topic of te- really? on your topic of Penn & Teller, uh, I love that show, by the way. And one of my favorite is, I don't know if you've seen that one, was a blind magician that does close-up magic and he managed to fool them. That was my favorite. It was just beyond amazing. Richard Turner, Richard Turner, he's not a magician. He's a card mechanic. And the, actually, Google that guy, Richard Turner. He, going back to our episode on procrastination and work, his motto is like, uh, I don't hate the fact that I'm blind. I hate the people who are lazy and I hate people who don't give it, put in the work. Give me blindness over procrastination any day of the week. That's like his motto. He does interviews and he's truly, truly amazing. So the, the guy's blind. He's the best card mechanic in the world. He has a black belt in karate. He does all, he does free climbing. He does everything, you know, he, Google Richard Turner when you have a chance. A, you will be impressed by his uh, card skills, and B, you will be impressed by his attitude on life. It's amazing. The guy is basically Daredevil. He's a real live Daredevil. And he's just like, yeah, just describe the mountain to me, and I'm going to climb it blind. Sure. Fine. (laughs) Pretty Pretty much. much. Anyway, today's topic, uh, you tell us what the topic is. Today's topic is pivotal moments in our careers and in people's careers. How to take the wrong turn at every possible step and how it gets you to where you are now. I love that uh, that even, I think I maybe mentioned this the last time, but I'm going to repeat it again because it's worth repeating. My dad used to tell me that even a kick in the butt is a step forward. So I love, I love that. It's so true. And there's been so many, so many moments where you think you're doing something great doing something wrong or doing anything and it kind of shifts your perspective entirely and and it just pushes you on a completely new trajectory and i want to hear your first example and let's take it from there pivotal moments in in my career do they come in like chronological order or do we just go whatever you whatever you want i don't think we need to go chronologically who who cares just like things that changed how you and what you do so one of the weirdest moments in my career was i used to work in a company called lemax lemax builds software for travel agencies tour operators and they are truly amazing i think that nowadays they're one of the top five 
softwares in the industry in the world. And if anybody's listening, shout out to all the team at Lemux, shout out to Mate. You guys are amazing. And thank you for all the experience I gained there. But at one point, I and when we were there, we were still a really small company. So we had to, you know, pull back and forth with clients. We would go, this costs that much. Yeah, can it be less? For Again, living in Croatia, this is classical. Uh, uh, clients not understanding the value that software brings and uh, clients not understanding that that actually is worth it and costs money. But we always had this sort of, a, you know, push-pull, if I say it costs a uh, hundred pieces of stone, then you say, yeah, but can it be 75? Then I say, okay, and so on. So I quit Lemax. I decided to open up my own company. And the first job I got was for a UK client. And he, I was asked to build a Chrome extension that improved the SEO parameters of an article in a CMS. So I built that. And the deadline was, I don't know, two months or something. So at the end of two months, I have a meeting with a client. I tell them, okay, so this is what I've done. This is what we arranged. We said that these features need to work. This is how the first feature works, how the second feature works, yada, yada, yada. I do a full presentation. I was so proud of myself. And the guy was really happy with how it looks. And he said, yeah, this looks awesome. We could actually connect that to the SEMrush API to get additional values for that. And then we could... Can you do it? And I was like, well, I would need to look at the documentation, of course, but providing that the documentation exists and that it's doable, yes, I can do it. But, you know, I'm not sure how to tell you this. I'm kind I, I don't, but we agreed on a budget and I delivered this within the budget. So now this would have to be, you know, I hate to say it, but we have to be charged extra. And the guy was looking at me, well, of course it's going to be charged extra. And that moment was like, <laughs> clash of the worlds. I was used to working with clients that expected everything they could ever think of being the initial budget that we once spoke about. And the other guy was like, well, you're going to do work. Of course, I'm going to pay you for the work. That's how work works. <laughs> and the fact that those two things had to clash one with another I think that was the moment where I figured out, okay, <laughs> so it can be different. <laughs> I, I tell this story a lot of times and, and uh, uh, yeah, so. Oh man, I had, I had moments like that. One of them was, uh, so when I, I, I tell this story a lot and one thing that was surprising to me is actually I met with a friend for drinks recently. He was in London. Uh, Jelko Riha, uh, shout out to Jelko if you're listening. I'm gonna tag him in the post. But and and then he told me that he remembers this story from when he heard it from me a couple of years like years ago, uh, when I was telling it somewhere on some of the meetups or whatever, and that it shifted his perspective on how he thinks about stuff. And I was like, like somebody remembers my story from years ago, which was, uh, which kind of gave me the the awareness that people remember stuff and then. It kind of makes an impact. And the story is of how I quit my first real job. When I see a real job, I mean, within the IT industry, it wasn't my first, first job. Uh, I worked in as a, as a waiter. I worked in the warehouses uh, and, and all that 
stuff that you that I did before I went into IT. But my first real job is when I uh, I quit college just before I started my company. I dropped out of college and uh, got a job in an agency. I was there for only a couple of months. And the agency was design marketing agency that does all of the promotional uh, promotion, like all of those roll up banners and stuff like that. And my kind of reasoning was I'm getting paid at that point in US dollars around maybe 500 bucks per month. And they want to sell their they want to sell their roll up banners and but they were ordering them from China. So they're we're making money on the actual physical products, not on the design. And I was thinking like design should be worth way more than a 50 bucks piece of uh, mechanics, right? And I thought that they do not value design as much. So this is one of the first things where I said like, yeah, I think I can charge more for design alone and maybe I should start thinking about my own business, blah, blah, blah. And we were working on this project and I wrapped up everything by 2 p.m. on Friday and I came to the CEO's office and she was like, we were really great and, and we went to work together and we had a really good relationship. So, um, and in her office was somewhere where we would usually just hang out and have lunch. It was the biggest office with the biggest uh, table. And I came in and said like, oh, I'm uh, like, we are done for the day. It's Friday, 2 p.m. There's nothing left to do. Like we finished everything and we were starting a big new project on Monday. So I kind of said like, I'm going to go home early. Uh, and I'll see you on Monday. And uh, I kind of turned for 180 on my heels. And before I left the office, she said like, like, no, no. I was like, no, what? Like, she's like, no, you can't go home. I was like, why the fuck not? I asked politely. Uh, and she said, well, you are paid to sit here uh, and, and put your ass in the chair till 5 p.m. And, and I just stared blankly at her, like, couldn't believe that she's saying this. I was like, but yeah, but we're done. She's like, yeah, I don't care. Like, we are paying you to be here from nine to five. Uh, go in your office and find something to do for the remaining three hours. So I was like, okay, cool, 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 cool. What I'm going to do now is, yeah, I'm going to do that. Thank you. Went into my office, uh, sat down and drafted an amazing resignation letter. It was awesome. Uh, and at 5 p.m., got in her office, handed my resignation letter, said I'm going to use the remaining of my vacation days for uh, for the remainder of my uh, period that I need to be here. And then I'm out. And I sat on my motorcycle and went home, never looked back and started my own company. But that was like I'm so thankful for that conversation because it made me aware like I'm being paid not a lot of money to sit my ass in a chair and stare at a wall like I would rather not work and bang my head into a desk than do that so uh, there are people who's like oh you're getting paid and you're doing nothing that's amazing I'm not one of those people uh, I would rather not get paid and do something that I like than not work and get paid so uh, I went out and I was like done both have pros and cons but I, I agree with you i would also not like to you know come here sit down stare at a wall for eight hours and be paid i couldn't do that i would i would shoot myself but i i assume this experience of yours was like 15 20 years ago uh, 
dude, I don't know. Uh, okay, eight, but plus 18, minus 15, eight, 20 yeah, years ago. something like that, 18 years ago. Yeah, so in the IT industry, things have changed a lot. And things have changed a lot because the the leverage, the, the, the leverage shifted. So before workers needed companies to work at, now companies are desperate for workers. And if you know what you're doing, uh, uh, the company will appreciate you in many different ways. And if you're working, if you know what you're doing in IT development and you're working in a company that doesn't appreciate you, please DM me. <laughs> Mario is hiring. I'm always looking for people who know what they're doing and, and I feel unappreciated. So, no, that's that's yeah. true. And I'm happy that it changed. But this was one of the, I think, one of the main triggers that pushed me into the direction of actually being a strong advocate for remote work, for freelancing, for doing your shit on your own terms in your own time. Uh, because it really, I, since I was a kid, since I was, started going to school, I hated doing stuff that other people told me that I have to do. I was just not built that way. So I'm not a very obedient person in general. I have a strong problem with authorities. Uh, if somebody told me you have to go there and then they will give you a million dollars, I'd be like, I don't have to do shit. Like, fuck you. Like, like, you can't, you don't tell me what I need to do, right? Like, I, like, if you can go, please, if you ask me politely, I'll do whatever you want. Like, if you ask me politely, and if, especially if I'm helping you, no problem. But within reason, of course. But if somebody told me you have to, my initial internal trigger is like, I, I don't have to do shit. Like, and I'll show you I don't. You, you have to go there and you'll get a million dollars. I don't have to go there, but I want to go there and get a million dollars. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> on my I, I wouldn't be like that. I would be just like, no, fuck you. But yeah, ever since I was a kid, I had this strong aversion towards a bullshit authority. I have no problems with, if I ask you something and then you tell me, you tell me, we need to do this, I ask you why, and then you elaborate. Amazing, great, let's do it. But if I ask you something and you tell me because I say so, then it's, nah, no, mm. Just like listening to someone just because they are a, a, a teacher like, I think in one of the episodes I told you that we were, as I have three small kids, the oldest one is like, why, 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 why? And then at one point I was like, because I say so. And then she started doing that. Well, Tonka, please do this. Why? Because I say so. And then she's, she's like, that's not the answer. You told me that when I say that, that's not an answer. So now when you say it, it's also not an answer. Smart kid. It's smart kid. <laughs> and it's like, uh, I'm not a parent, you know that. But I think it's the worst way to parent is because I say so. Like, respect my authority because I'm bigger, older, and stronger than you. That's just the worst way. Authority Yeah, that's, that's not. That's, respect my authority yeah. But when you, when you said a clashing of two worlds, when, when, when the client said, of course, I'm going to pay you for the things that you're going to work on. I, I realized one of the things is when I realized that my prices were too low when I built a website for a client and he gave me a tip. So uh, <laughs> that, you mentioned this in one of the shows. That was like, oh, that was a pivotal moment. Like I need to raise my prices. Uh, when a guy gave, leaves you a cash tip, like, <laughs> like it, it was like, it felt like a prostitute. It was like, oh, you did a good job. Here's a hundred, here's a hundred extra. <laughs> at one, at one company, I, worked I, I freelanced for I was in a meeting where I had to do a demo of a product and we did it and then the guy who ordered it came and started of course the haggling started well how much does it cost well it costs a hundred oh I can give you 50 
oh, but can you give me 98? Oh, no, I can give you 53, and so on, and so on, and so on. And in the end, they agree on a price, and a guy puts his hand in his pocket, takes out a rolled-up amount of bills with a little rubber band around it, pulls out, this is, guy, this is for you guys, thank you, bye. <laughs> I was... Until that moment, I was living in an illusion that I'm kind of in IT, you know, fourth industrial revolution, uh, quarterly industries, uh, all nice, highly technical. And then you figure out that it's just like on, on you know, a fruit market where uh, these aren't as fresh. Yeah, they aren't. So I'm going to give you three kilos for the price of two and so on. Yeah, it's a, there was a little bit of a letdown. A bit of a defeating uh, feeling. <laughs> but yeah, so... You know that show of How I Met Your Mother when they have, when you realize a fact and then it breaks the, sh- the glass, the glass break. illusion, yeah. and then you actually hear the sound. <laughs> well, that was it. That was one of those moments for me. I just edited that in. Uh, I just communicated this telepathically ah, nice. to me <laughs> to edit this in. It's going to be amazing. Uh, one more. Great, great. Future me is amazing at editing. <laughs> The future is amazing in general. Um, so we're probably going to have a few of these. Uh, we're probably going to have a few of these uh, uh, moments uh, throughout the course of today's show. So yeah. So what else was in terms of not working with clients, but in terms of working within the technology? Like what changed you? Like you mentioned last time, we talked about how technology changed. But what was like the deciding moment? Like I won't actually work with, uh, I, if I believe you're in Microsoft technologies, not in, uh, right? Who I am, but I am, but the one that I want to mention now is, at that time I was still owning a Siemens C35 cell phone. Okay. So just to put you in context, we were talking around 2003, four, maybe five, I think four, something, some, somewhere around that time. And I got a job as a student, a um, friend of mine, had access to Siemens XT75 portable modules that had GPRS modem on them and had GPS uh, locators on them and could run Java 2 Mobile Edition. So he was like, hey, can you just build me a prototype that gathers GPS data and sends it over the modem? We still had to have a phone card, you know, to send it via, via. there was a new thing, SIM, on, on uh, internet over SIM cards and things like that. So I said, yeah, I can give it a go. Give me the, the device, give me the docs and everything. So then I first got a device, then I got like 75 PDFs because Java documentation and because Siemens documentation. And then I started reading through those. And he was, you know, like, after first week, do you have progress? I said, yeah, I read 70 pages of documentation. <laughs> I know something, but no. In the end, it turned out that a lot of it had to do with AT commands. And I don't know if you've ever written AT commands or if you know exactly what AT commands are. AT commands are a really, 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 really low-level way of communicating with devices, primarily the modem. Uh and they have syntax, you know, like AT, uh, uh, that little up arrow symbol, 250, and it's a horrible syntax that you have to learn from the documentation and master. So in the end, I did it and I actually do it and I actually get the coordinates. And I'm so happy because I actually built something that works on an 
actual device built by a famous company that I've heard of that connects to the internet with an official provider that provides phones for everybody in Croatia. I was like, I'm so cool. I can do stuff. And I got paid for that gig. I think that was one of the first, maybe even the first thing I was actually paid for doing. Oh, that's, that's, a, that's a good project. That's a good first project to be paid for. I don't remember what was the first thing I was paid for, like officially. Uh, do, when we say paid for, do, do we count when I issued an invoice or when I got cash in hand? No, 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 no. This was, I think this was, I did this over a student contract or something. Right. Was it like official? Because first couple of projects I did were uh, within the gray area of the economy. I was like, yeah, I can do that. You pay me in cash and then I would, I could do. Now the Ministry of Finance is going to go after you. Well, they tried. You should not say these things. Wow. I have no problems with it. They, they, no, no, no. The Ministry of Finance in Croatia went after me and, and we went to court and they lost. So I'm I'm good. I don't think you can be prosecuted for the same crime twice. But since I, since they lost, it wasn't a crime. So, uh, but it's a story for another thing. But actually, that was a pivotal moment. This is a great uh, a great example of uh, how I refused to pay some taxes because they acted like assholes. When I say they, I mean the the government. Uh, so when 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 I started my first company, there was this like a government scheme where you can apply for uh, like some funding, like a startup funding thing in range of around like 3000 bucks, something like that. And then uh, you, they would provide like 75% of funds and then you need to provide additional 25%. You need to prove that you have that money and then this is the money that then you can then spend on starting up your business. So uh, I applied for the grant, I got it, uh, had the money, saved up and uh, my friend and I, we started this thing together. So we spent the money on uh, the computer equipment, tests, tables and all the things. But they said that this money is uh, like inclusive of VAT and all of the thing. So uh, we give you money, but you basically give us 25% back in, in VAT. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like you gave me the money to spend. This is not for me to return you the money through VAT. This is my money to spend. And I put my money in and I will not give you the VAT bit. So they were like, yeah, you are. I was like, no, I'm not. They're like, we're going to see you. I was like, yeah, please go ahead. And then we went to core battle for six years and then they lost. <laughs> Six years. Six years. Six years of core battle to to win against a corrupted country where I proved that I don't want to pay them around like five hundred bucks in VTO. And then I won. And I was like, <laughs> uh, yeah. But I battled T Mobile as well. They lost too. Uh, who else? Well, a lot of people in Croatia just lost because they're uh, just losers. This is why I'm not there anymore. But anyway, uh, off topic. Uh, <laughs> We're losers. <laughs> yeah, losers in everything but football. But uh, but yeah. Actually, we are winners in everything but football. And if anybody's looking at my profile on Facebook, you will notice that I frequently post about everything but football. So Croatia has, I don't know. Uh, recently, a girl from Croatia is the youngest girl that swam across the seven biggest channels in the world. With seven marathons, she won the world record of being the youngest. 
What was the headline in the sports columns that week? Hajduk lost to Dinamo 0-4. Before that, we had a new champion in judo. What was the headline? The headline was that football club from Šibenik has a great young, talented right back. Then we had, I don't know, uh, uh, after coming back from an injury, a Croatian tennis star female wins a tournament. What was the headline? The headline was that Zoran Mamic, who is a convicted felon, not allowed back into the country, has a new girlfriend in a different country. That is the headline in Croatian newspaper. So if anybody is reading Croatian newspaper, go kill yourself. Except if you are Igor Ostrich. I hope that Igor Ostrich is listening to this. I gave him links. Basically, my friend Igor Ostrich, uh, he loved to do this to himself in during the period of Lint. Is it called Lint? The Christian thing where you have to uh, uh, denounce yourself of something that's important to you to prove your Lent. devotion to God. Lent. Lent. Sorry. Lent. Lint is so the thing. Lint. Lint is the thing you have in your belly button. Lint is chocolate. No, no. Lint is what you have in your, in your belly button. Is is lint? Ah, uh, okay. So anyway, Lent. So uh, uh, during Lent, he he decided that the two of his most precious things that he owns are his sanity and his health. And that's why during Lent he uh, gives those up. So he starts smoking two packs a day. And he starts reading Croatian newspaper. Shout out to Igor Ostrich. Lent is almost over. I hope that you'll stick through this time. Oh man, that's the, the that's the why would someone do that to themselves? I don't know. I assume you mean the newspaper, not the smoking. Both. Like why would? <laughs> like, why? 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 Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Okay. Anyway, uh, coming back to our topic, actual topic is the one of the pivotal moments in my career was reaching out to international market and deciding, you know what, I don't want to work with local clients anymore. And how can I find this? So that was early 2013. Uh, so right around 10 years ago now, uh, when I joined TopTel. And I was invited by Tomislav Tsapan, who was a friend with a Roman, uh, for a drinks in uh, in a pub in Zagreb. He was like, "You have to meet this guy. He's a recruiter for this uh, Silicon Valley company that is hiring uh, freelancers, but they are developers only, and all the developers in the world they need a designer, right? And and they don't have any designers." So I had a conversation with Roman. And I onboarded to TopTel as a front-end developer because back then I was still doing front-end. But that was only to onboard and pass the test and all the things. But I was actually hired to all of the projects as a designer who can also code. And I even wrote a blog post back then uh, wearing two hats, designers, developers, designers who code or whatever. Uh, And this is how I started working with people from basically everywhere. I had clients for East Coast, West Coast, UK, even had a guy from China uh, from everywhere and, and started to understand how people think and in how toxic environment actually was running a business then for, for a couple of years already uh, and that it can be so much better. So this was, if I can take away something that would be an advice to people is look beyond just where you are 
and and I'm sure if you have a service or a skill that you can offer, you can literally work within the entire planet Earth. So just go do that. And some people are like, how do I do that? Well, that's a, that's maybe your next topic, how to branch out onto uh, international market. We can talk about that in, in the next episode. But, but this was a pivotal moment for me because it wasn't about money. It was never about money with me. Uh, the money was better, but I enjoyed working more because people were actually valuing the thing that I was doing. And like you said, the first guy was like, of course, I'm going to pay you for the work that you provided. That was like, oh, my God, these people actually not only pay me for the work that I provide, actually enjoy working with me and they like the things that I do. So this must feel amazing. Uh, and and then never look back. I think in last client, last client from Croatia was seven or eight years ago. And that was like done. But going back to how you can actually do that and how you can actually branch off to a different market, it could be a topic on its own. But the one thing that certainly doesn't help is sitting on your couch and thinking, oh my God, how would I do that? That's definitely not step one. So step one is get on your couch and try to do something. And then we can talk about steps two, three, four. If only there was something uh, like, uh, yeah, the- like, a, like a little... like let's call it like a text box where you can enter your question and then hit enter and it gives you answers. That would be amazing. Something like we can call it like Google or. Yeah. Google would be a really good name for that. Right. Like you go check if Google.com is taken. Uh, d- Maybe it's free. See. Uh, so let me go see. I'll, I'll do it right away. So I go on, I have this instant domain search.com that I use. What do you say, Google? Do you have like, Google. yeah, on Google.com? Google. How much is the price for Google.com? Google. Like gazillion. <laughs> Google.com. Well, it's actually, yeah, it's taken. Uh, I can contact a broker to see if it's available. But uh, yeah, Google.exposed and Google.gallery are available. So maybe we can do something with that. Google Show. Anyway. Going back, so around the same time you joined TopTal, I joined TopTal as well. But for me, it was actually fun because I joined as a developer and I worked on a couple of projects as a freelancer developer. And that was great. And then at one point they told me, hey, listen, we got some feedback from the client. You look like you understand the high level. You understand their business. You look like you, you know, are a good fit. Would you like to come and work for us? And I was like, okay. So... You want to, you're like a big Silicon Valley US company that wants to hire me. Yeah. Okay. Why the hell not? Let's try it. So I joined and I was like, you know, in the beginning, I was kind of scared how it's going to work and all of that. And thanks to, to Alvaro, who, who brought me in and who taught me pretty much everything I know about that job. Alvaro, you're amazing. Um, at one point, I became, you know, good. <laughs> and uh, I am I don't I know that I'm good I understand that I'm good I understand that I know development I know the industry I know everything but it I was I was worried how I'm going to fit in you know in a US company with all of the culture and everything but pretty soon you know people came to me like to the point of authority like Mario you tell us what to do with this project because you are the best person for it and it was they could have hired anyone on planet earth so you know it's not like they could have 
we are in my home city and then they could have hired anybody from my home city. They could have hired anyone from planet Earth. There are amazing people in Argentina. There are amazing people in Italy. There are amazing. They could have hired any one of those. They hired me and then I became a person that they would actually ask, okay, how would you solve this? Tell us so we can build a process around it. And it was always a team effort. So I'm not going to say I was God in that company. I was not. There was a team process and we ended up expanding team with amazing people, with Ana Chiara, with Martin, with... There was a ton of really great people doing what I did, and it was a lot of fun to work with top experts from around the, the, the globe. But yeah, you know, uh, being felt like you're a point of authority that people ask your opinions on how to solve complex technical problems was like really tickling my ego, how to say How that. did that... I was really happy. How did that change your attitude then going forward, like towards your own company and building a startup and... So, uh, oh, building a startup is going to be another couple of pivotal moments. I'm going to go back to that. But did it give you like a confidence but, boost? Yeah. So I was lucky that during the, my course in Total, I got to spend a lot of time talking to developers, but also talking to clients. And then after talking to a lot of clients over the course of the years, you figure out that they're actually normal people who have a mission. They have a project. They're set out to do their project. And you can work with them and you can help them with what you do. You can actually bring a lot of value to them with what you know and what you do and they appreciate it. And that was, it's really nice when you, when both sides are aware of who brings what to whom and both sides are appreciative of the mutual cooperation. That's a really, then it's a great client client vendor relationship and that's the one that you need to keep and build on yeah and now going to the startup <laughs> so i wanted to build so this is even before currently i work in a startup called picator but even before that i wanted to build something of my own and i had two major projects that i wanted to build and that failed colossally Let's start. <laughs> the first one was the ski book. You talked about ski whenever book. I, I love skiing. You talked about ski book. Yeah, I talked about ski book. I talked about ski book about how we did design, but I don't know if I told you th this part of the story. So if I did fast forward, if not, don't, uh, but basically my friends and I, we love going skiing and then we, you know, you have to organize it. So where are we going? Who's going to bug the accommodation? Who's going to bring what? When are we going? Who's driving? 20,000 WhatsApp messages. So I was like, let's build a platform that will automatically give you a list of all of the ski resorts, their distance, driving directions, uh, weather forecast for the place, uh, accommodation over there. You can book it. We get affiliate. You have a chat. You have a checklist pre-made what you need to bring. And you just have to say yes or no when you're invited to a trip. Yeah, and we built it. We took the course that, as I'm a developer and my friend was a developer, we did it together, we built it. And it worked. And nobody used it. So that was a really glass-shattering moment. Because that taught me people don't necessarily have your problem. People have a problem, and if you think that 
uh, they have your problem, then first go talk to them before you spend actual freaking six months building it and then learning nobody's going to use it. So uh, uh, that was a glass sharing moment when I figured, okay, not everybody has the same problem like me, or even if they do, not everybody wants to solve it the same way I do. So whenever you have an idea to do something, think about A, what problem does it solve? B, who does it solve it for? Uh, C, how does it solve it? And then find as many people as you can like that and talk to them. Listen, this is what I was planning to do. Would you like it? Maybe even give them some sketches or a, a clickable prototype or something like that. Don't spend six months of development to build something that nobody's going to use. And I know that me saying this now is not going to stop you from spending six months developing something that nobody's going to use. But just after you have that moment and figure out that nobody's using your product after you spend six months building it, remember these words and remember that I told you so. Uh, I'm so smart. I told you so. <laughs> I'm going to clip this. We're going to, we're going to share this, but yeah, that's build it and they will come. Uh, so that was, that was really glass shattering when I had something that worked, that had a huge database of squares or it's everything was good, populated with data, ready to be used. Looked, looked okay. looked pretty enough. Everything was good, except the problem i thought everybody had because who's going to use your product everybody is of course yeah so why did it work <laughs> like why didn't like how 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 did you go into you know promoting and selling this product like how did you define that people actually don't want to use it okay so that that's another glass shattering moment i also talked about this uh, in earlier episodes developers think that they're god-given gift to earth because we can build stuff and we don't understand that building the actual product is between 10 and maybe 25% of actually building an actual business. So after the product, there has to be marketing, there has to be sales, there has to be uh, uh, business planning, there has to be finances, there has to be customer support, there has to be uh, uh, community management, there has, to be, there has to be so many things and the product is just one part of it. Being a technical person, you think about, hey, I'm going to build a product. Like, that's it. It's going to be a product. It's going to be usable. You can click it. It works. It does what it has to do. It solves your problem. Yeah, doing that, you've solved only 25% of building a business. You actually have to build a business around it. And you did. And realizing that was also a glass shattering moment. Like, Yeah. Uh, one of the things that uh, changed my way of thinking towards business was actually reading business books. That was the, the thing that changed with every book. I was like, oh, okay, I, I didn't know about this. I didn't know about that. And the thing is that when I went into starting a business, my ego was all the way over there. And my knowledge and skills was all... So it was a typical Dunning-Kruger effect. Uh, and if you haven't heard of this, here's a little graphic that I'm going to put here about what it is. And I was riding the peak of Mount Stupid. I was I was all the way over there. Like this guy, like on a, on a big rocket-powered ego boost. Like I'm going to conquer the business world. I know everything. And then 
uh, one of my friends, Philip, who I, he's a pricing consultant now, but back then he was doing a lot of marketing and sales and, and he's overall like an amazing, uh, business person. And when we started out with our, uh, web design studio, he told me some of the things that felt so misaligned with what I believed to be how business works, right? And one of the things that I'm going to remember for my entire life was if you're, for example, selling uh, a some sort of street food, in Croatia would be burek uh, or borek uh, in Turkey. So if you're selling street food, you're, if you're designing a pamphlet for it, you're not going to use 350 gram hard glossy paper with an amazing golden letters that you're then going to sell a $1 product, right? So there needs, and I thought like everything that you're selling needs to have an amazing design. That was for me, like I'm a designer. Everything needs to have an amazing design. You're going to design all of the amazing stuff for everything. Then this is how we're going to solve the world problems. Everything's going to be designed amazingly. You're welcome planet earth. And then I realized, like, okay, this is not how it works. So you need to properly design things for the proper product that goes into, that has a proper market fit and da, 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 da. So then he gave me a couple of books and, and then I read them and I was like, oh, okay, I didn't know this. I didn't know that. So then it changed how I approach solving business problems. So back then, just same as you, I thought if I come to a business and tell them, Hey, I'm going to build you a website and then all of your business problems are going to be solved. Uh, how come you don't want a website or how, why do you do not understand that you need a website, especially my amazingly designed websites. And, and then so there was a, one, one woman told me once uh, that she doesn't need a website because everything she does for her business, she just runs out of uh, a Microsoft uh, Office and it's good enough for her. She's, and I was like, how do you do not understand that the website will... And then I realized that uh, I was just selling the wrong thing. That it wasn't the website that she needs. She needs more customers. That's what business wants. Business wants more customers, more sales. They don't care if it's a website or a truckload of flyers. It's like, I want more customers. Okay, I can provide you more customers. How? Leave that to me. It's going to be a website. Uh, but that was uh, that was one of the things like, oh, cool. I had no idea. And and then the other one was when we, when we started out, we were doing this uh, direct phone sales, which was basically take out the yellow pages, go through all the local businesses, call them up and say like, hey, this is a so-and-so doing this work and we want to sell you a website. And he said, you need to do this a lot. And I thought, well, two a day, that's a lot, right? I called two prospective companies today. They said no, but uh, man, did I did sales today. Uh, <laughs> and, and then I'm, I'm very uncomfortable on the phone. Uh, not very, I can, I can talk for hours with you on stage, doesn't matter, but on the phone, Telling people about like, oh, like I sold the thing. It's like, oh, I don't, I don't do that. And uh, we hired a, a friend of ours who's amazing on the phone sales. He just loves that thing. Like he knows about that person, what they drink, what they eat, uh, what's the, their kids' names. Like he learns them. He's a really good sales and people person. So we got him on the phone. He called like 100 people a day. He was just like banging it out. And uh, following advice of you have to call a lot of people to sell your stuff. And then we build a script of you ask a question. If they see this, then do that, a little flow chart of how we go through everything. He just took that flow chart, took the phone, took the yellow pages, and he was just banging it out. And then we got like one client per week on average, which was not bad. 
uh, back then. So, yeah. No, but sales is a lot about volume and sales is a lot about CRM. So my uncle, he now does, a he has a small theater for children, does children's, you know, uh, uh, puppet shows. And uh, uh, I saw his CRM. He's elderly now, he's in his mid-60s, and his CRM is a big Excel table where he has a list of all of their contacts. And then you have, you know, last contacted, and you have the, the last column is miscellaneous. So you look at it like, what is miscellaneous? And you look at the data in that column, and next to a lady, there's, you know, a, a code word, dog. I said, uncle, what, 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 what's this? And he's like, watch. Hello, Mrs. This and this. This is uh, Mr. Mozart. Yeah, hey, ha, 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 how are you doing? How's the puppy? Oh, that's great. Oh, that's really brilliant. Oh, I'm really glad. The lady bought whatever... After, how's the puppy? So he calls her like once in three months to remind her that he's doing that. And if did after three months, when she heard that he remembers her precious little puppy, she was sold. Yeah. So code word puppy. People skills. Code word people skills. People skills. Yeah. Code word people skills. How can we? Code word CRM. Write that shit down because you cannot remember it. Code word CRM. Yeah. There's a there's a, an app called Clay, which is uh, looks it's, it has a pretty fresh cool design, so I kind of like it from, from a design perspective. But I had an idea of building like a personal CRM for uh, when we have a conversation, let's say once a month, and then we talked about stuff and da da da. And then this my idea was like to give me a reminder, hey reconnect with mario and and and, and to kind of have like just bullet points like what we talked about last time so we don't repeat ourselves we can continue the conversation so i was thinking i'll build like a personal thing when i call my friends uh and so we can pick up where we left off and so on uh and and then i designed the app got the whole thing got the idea down the paper showed it to my developer he was like yeah we can build this this is fairly simple to build and then this thing came out and it's so much better because they put a lot of thought into it and it, it has some like minor AI behind it and it connects your calendar to your uh, context, pulls all of your emails, like everything. So you kind of have everything in, but for a personal, for a personal use, it's very, very cool. Uh, so yeah. I'm... Can I just, can I just yeah. break your spirit for a little bit? That's a CRM for friends. So that's like a yeah. friendship relationship manager. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, I understand. I, I see the practical value of it. On the other hand, a lot of people listening, <laughs> this is assuming we have a lot of people listening, and if we do have a lot of people listening at this point, please hit the subscribe, bell, like, all of the buttons. But anyway, a lot of people listening might think that if you need a machine to maintain your friendships, then the quality of those friendships might be iffy. But again, this is another philosophical topic that we won't open now that we can open no, over absolutely. the course of five years. Absolutely. This is not for close friends, but uh, the people that you hear on like daily basis or a weekly basis. But I have friends that I've spent a lot of time with that have basically moved all over the planet. And uh, it does, just doesn't make sense to be in touch every week because nothing happens on a weekly basis, right? Uh, I eat, I sleep. Uh, I do my work and like nothing changes. So it's great 
to when you reconnect like six months later. Uh, I have a friend that we speak like two times a year. And every time we speak, it's like we pick up where we left off and we have a great connection. And when, he, when we meet up in the same town, it's great. But for six months, there's no reason to kind of speak in between. Uh, and then we can speak for three hours and it's great. Uh, and like last time, like we were in the same industry a year ago. So I made a little note of that. Like, oh, he just got hired in a startup that was doing the same thing I was doing. So next time we speak, I just made a little reminder. Like, let, like I want to check in how that feels because I might forget shit like that. Uh, and just stuff like that. It's not like I remember to ask him what his daughter name is. I know that. But but these like minor things. Like, oh, I'm, uh, I'm going to play this show that I recommend and I want to like just ask him like how did he find the show and stuff like that because I talk about the shows that I like to everybody so I can't remember who I who said like yeah, I'm gonna watch it so like, it's just minor things like that so to sum this up what's gonna be the next pivotal change in your career oh the next pivotal change in career oh, okay you're setting me up so I know what you're doing Mario uh, next pivotal moment in my career is going to be, I think I'm moving away from design in terms of actually designing UI, in terms of UI design. I, I, I've been designing stuff for over 20 years now, and I'm, I think I'm done. I think I'm done in terms of building UI, building forms and buttons and drop-down menus and all that stuff that is cool. But in terms of that, I promised myself last year when, on the last project I was, this is the last UI you're ever going to design. And I wrote that in my diary. And now I want to move towards working with people and coaching uh, freelancers and, and coaching people to, to build their career to a stage where they are happy on their day-to-day -day basis, happy with the clients, happy with how much money they're making and have enough uh, work-life integration so they can enjoy uh, their daily lives and work is a part of that and it's just like a positive experience and this is what i want to geared towards too so now i'm just well, just yesterday I launched my workshop that's going to start on 3rd of april so whoever's listening it's going to be a week from from a uh, week from the episode is published and we'll see how that goes but uh i can still do i, I want to do design in terms of product consulting i think i have a lot of experience and i want to help with startups how do they how do they position themselves and what is the priorities they do on a product and stuff like that and help with hiring, help with building a team. But I don't want to do design anymore in terms of building a UI. So that's going to be the next pivotal thing. Hopefully we'll see how it goes. Uh, ask me in a month, uh, but I want to, I want to, I want to get there. I'll ask you in a month. Ask me in a month. Maybe I should do a shameless plug. Uh, the website is uh, sixfigure.camp. So it's sixfigure.camp.com. Uh, check it out. Let me know what you think and, and, uh, sign up. And if it's, if it's sold out, just hop on a waiting list by then and let me know that you found it in an episode and I'll give you a generous discount. That's uh, kind of, I don't like, I don't, I don't, well, we'll see. Uh, we'll see if anybody actually replies. Who would, who would, who would refuse an offer from such a well brought up young person? Yeah. Uh, I need, I'm thinking I should put a warning. I assume you hold the elevator lifts doors for the elderly. And all yeah. That. I need to, I need to put a warning on like whoever joins my, uh, whoever joins my, my workshop, I do swear a lot. 
uh, I'm really trying on this podcast not to do a lot of shits and fucks, but uh, when the when the cameras are not rolling, oh man, my, my, my mouth are just full of shits and dicks. So, but it's it's the more difficult, it's more easy to sustain from swearing in English. Yes. Because English swear words suck. That's true. I think that if you were speaking more in your native language, you would have much more creative combinations that would trigger it more. That's, so in English, it's much that's easier. That's true. That's true. English is so bad for swearing. It kind of borders on, uh, it just warrants writing a book uh, and rewriting. How, how do we swear in English? Because we need to teach those people how to properly curse. But. Anyway, uh, you want to wrap it out of here with a bad joke? Uh, do I want to wrap it out of here with a bad joke? I actually don't have one. Oh, really? You don't have a bad joke? I thought you prepared one. A guy comes, a guy comes to a train station and says, I need a return ticket. To where? To here! <laughs> <laughs> I had a joke before we started and I now can't remember what it was. What, what was it? Anyway... Ah, about the guy drinking. Oh, yeah, that was... Uh, I, I probably need to recut this bit uh, a little bit, but... So, I can't drink a lot. I can have one drink, and then I'm another person. But that other guy, man, he can drink. That was, uh, that was a true story once. I don't drink anymore. I gave I up alcohol. Laugh. I would laugh, but I heard this one like 50 minutes ago, so yeah. <laughs> Good. Anyway... I'll give a sympathy smile. Uh, we didn't say this during the episode, but uh, if you got to hear, like, subscribe, do the thing, hit the button, hit the thumbs up or thumbs down. Uh, either works if you think we suck. I also like hearing that we suck. Uh, whatever, whatever you do, YouTube blogs engagement, so that's good. And uh, uh, yes. And can I just point out? So I have been wearing the hat for the whole show for all of you watching on YouTube and wondering what the fuck this guy's doing. I've been doing it so that in the end I can do this. Thank you and uh, goodbye. Goodbye.